film and television, merely entertainment, right? No. There's so much more to film and television that changes our perspectives. And as a result, we can have different, either realistic expectations or non-realistic expectations about what life is really like. Whether it be horror that helps us develop a habit of turning every light on in the house, or a comedy that helps us relieve tension in the saddest times of our life. I want to go in the Wayback Machine and find out exactly what movie helped shape you. I'm Oma Shadi, and welcome to the Between the Bannisters podcast. I'm so glad that we're doing this. There's so many people that want to talk about their favorite movies now, and it's absolutely fantastic. So I wanted to welcome uh, my guest today, um, Nania Taylor. Hello. How are you, Tay Tay? I'm doing well. How are you, Mama? <laughs> Good. I'm so happy that um, she's always Tay Tay to me. I'm um, so excited that she is here because not only does she have a really cool uh, movie to share, but... I want to tell you a little bit about her and her background. So she has always been captivated by the arts. From a very young age, she loved consuming both written and visual material, always paying attention to the underlying story. She grew up and started to experiment with her own creative ideas. Nania fell in love with screenwriting and hasn't looked back since. With multiple short stories under her belt, she ventured into screenwriting as a fluke and found out that she loved it. Throughout her career, Nania has taken on new challenges by working on a variety of projects that have served to enhance and advance her development as a writer. Her pilot script, Mantis, was a semifinalist in the San Francisco International Screenwriting Competition and made number 19 on Coverfly's Red List for the year of 2019 for Action Television One Hour and made Austin Film Festival's second rounder competition. Tay-Tay, welcome. <laughs> oh, thanks, Mom. Nothing to sneeze at. Fantastic pedigree. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, and tell us what movie shaped you. The Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of Khan. I love it. I have <laughs> So tell me why, number one, tell me why that's, I always like to assume that the, the movies that have shaped us are in some kind of caliber our favorite movies. So tell me why this movie means so much to you you know um star trek i'm a nerd um if you haven't figured that out yet uh, the movie selection is one of the biggest catalysts to my writing um as a writer um i was a latchkey kid and um you know and i had an older sister so whoever got to you know the tv first um got to you know watch what was on and, and my older sister loved cartoons and i hated cartoons and um, I, I just had to find something else to watch if I got the key. And I found Star Trek and I fell in love with the characters and became obsessed. I went and found Gene Roddenberry's creator's books, his bios, just to figure out his brain. How did he how did he create such a world? You know, um, so uh, I grew up in the you know mid 80s and 80s not late 90s um and uh for you know for a substantial part of my young life I watched those shows and um I would write at the time I didn't know that's what it was fan fiction about those shows because I wanted to see your hero in the captain seat 
and I wanted to see her with Spock. So um, <laughs> I would write my little fan fiction and I started writing stories from there, from that moment of writing fan fiction for Star Trek. Um, it wasn't until I was older and I kind of fell off, you know, of course, I was watching the original reruns of, of the series because the series was created in the late 60s and early 70s um, that um, I, you know, kind of fell off from watching Star Trek. And I think one day, you know, I read across that they had made a movie, The Wrath of Khan. And I was like, how did this happen? <laughs> and how did I miss this movie? <laughs> And I watched it, and at first, you know, these faces came on screen that had been frozen in my mind as, you know, these young characters, and now they're older, mm -hmm. you know, uh, older, uh, the older cast. And it was a little bit of a shock to me. <laughs> why? You, you, I know you wonder why. Like, why is she? It's been years. It's been years. And I was yeah. like, who are these old people? Like, um, but how do you age in space? How do you age? Like, don't, they don't have a cure for that. And 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 you know, like ten thousand years from now, they don't have a cure for that. So I was a little shocked. I was like, wait, they're older. Like, it really, I, you know, it really took me aback. But everything was still there. The energy was still there. The you know, the original kind of storyline of how they how they went in, 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 in the catalyst and then the, you know, the exciting incident and then the, uh, the, the hero moment and then the finale. It, it was all there um, in this movie. I think The Wrath of Khan for me, again, a Star Trek fanatic, is one of the best Star Trek movies um, out there, even the new ones. And I love Chris Pine, but yeah, I think it's one of the best for me um, Star Trek movies out there. Um, uh, I too love Chris Pine. <laughs> yeah, and I love Chris Pine. Um, and and I, I um to to watch it all together and to see the friendships between uh Kirk and Spock and um McCoy there again, and then the inciting incident, and then the the the, the hero save play um that happened in in the movie was just it was wonderful. And it just took me back to being the little girl watching it on TV. So that's the reason why it's one of my favorite, favorite uh, I movies. love that. No, that's amazing, especially. And I understand definitely the whole Lashkey Kids scenario because that's kind of how we were. My mother had a full-time job and my mother was trying to get her, her college credits at night. So it was the three of us really had to fend for ourselves. And yeah, it was whoever mm -hmm. got home first mm -hmm. <laughs> got tired of the TV. Until my oldest sister moved out, and then we got an NES, and then we didn't really watch TV a lot. But yeah. we watched um, a lot of VHS and whatever my mother was, you know, watching, and then we kind of got roped into that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But being a child and listen, especially, you know, if you have a horror, you know, you've got, you know, you've got Nichelle Nichols yes. in that aspect, and as a young brown little girl, yes. How did that shape your love of sci-fi as well? I can tell you this. Um, the first time I got the remote and I beat my sister to it um, <laughs> and was so happy. And, it, and I was just flipping the channels and trying to find something, you know, just anything. And it landed on her face. 
And it was a scene where the camera was right close up on her face. Mm-hmm. And it took my breath away because here's this brown woman who's beautiful, who's on the screen. And then the camera panned back and it was all these technical things behind her um, that I was like, what is, what's, what's, what's this? What is happening? Where is she at? I've never seen anything. I've never seen a set like this before. Like, where is she at? Like, she's not cleaning anyone's house. She's not the maid. She's not the prostitute. Um, it was, it was a relief. Yeah. And it was a excitement to see someone who looked like me, who who was not, um, and in her character, even even if you look at it today, she was not subservient to anyone. No, not at no. all. They just never gave her the captain chair. And that was the only thing that bothered me. That's the only thing that bothered <laughs> me. That she never got the captain's chair. Um, but besides except on the cartoon, on the cartoon she did. Um, but besides the cartoon, you know, she never got the captain's chair. And I was it, it bothered me for that reason. Um, and but to see her face, and I think I became so um enamored with it because I was just like whoa, here is a diverse cast mm-hmm. supposedly in the future where in the 80s at the time, there were not that many diverse shows on. I think they started doing diverse shows like in the 90s with Martin and Living Single, if I remember oh, yeah. correctly. And Cosby's show started kind of late 80s, I think. You know, it wasn't really many diverse shows when I was a little kid, you know. No. Um, and I mean, so different just, strokes, maybe fashion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just didn't have many shows that uh, there was a positive aspect of a, of a Black woman. Sure. There. Um, and so I was, I became so kind of, like I said, I kind of came obsessed with it because I was just, I wanted to go, how did this guy create this? Mm-hmm. You know, how did this all come up in his head for this show that he said it in the future? And it was it was diverse. Every type of person that you could see was on screen, and he made it so. And I was very um, it it just blew my mind, and I just wanted to know how he did it. I wanted the formula. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted the formula. And at, at the time, I didn't understand why I wanted the formula, but I wanted the formula. So when I became a writer, I did the same thing. Yeah. Perfect. How do you feel that this movie shaped the way that you approach either life or situations, or is there something in that movie that you you kind of put towards your life today? Um, one of the things is the 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 friendship and the loyalty of the friendship, and I think I was. Um, like I said, I was grown when I, when I saw the Rapicon, but I think I cried like a, a little baby when when Spock died because I wasn't expecting it. Um, one of my favorite characters has died and the friendship that he did have with um, Captain Kirk on that um, show just spoke volumes to me of my friendships that I still have friends from from high school. I mean, no, from middle school you know that we're still friends to today you know that mm-hmm. I know that if I pick up the phone and call and ask and ask 
if I need them, that they will come. Those are the type of friendships where, you know, you you talk to them in March and be like, let me, t- let me call you back, girl. And um, you don't call them back until like November and you just pick back up. <laughs> right back up where you left off. Where you left off and it's, it's no hurt feelings. It's no, girl, I haven't heard from you in months. It's like, oh, what's going on? What's happening? Kind right. of thing. And because you're living, you're both just kind you're of both living, like yeah. Both relationship, right? And it's yeah. Just like, there's no but, pretense in between. Yeah, and I still, and I know they still trust mm-hmm. that they are sisters to me. They are now family to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the biggest things I think they they emphasize to me in the the, the Rapicom is the family that uh, Kirk had with Spock in the, in the crew and with Bones, like they had become his family. Spock had become his brother, even though they spoke in terms of friendship, they were really brothers. Yeah. Um, in that movie, um, it spoke about growing older and thinking that you should be put out in pasture and retire from the thing that you love doing. Mm-hmm. And that taught me is like, no matter how old you get, if you still have passion, you still have energy, you still have the mindset, still pursue that. Because that was one of Jim's um, issues is that um, he had become an admiral. He kind of had retired out of being a, a captain. And he was he was really stating, I don't need to go back out there. And they kind of, you know, the storyline kind of pushed him back into the captain's Yeah. Um, and it made him realize toward the end of the film, that is where he belongs. And he shouldn't retire out of being out of the captain's seat. He needs to be in a captain's seat um, to feel alive, to feel, um, to pursue, to being a captain was such a part of him. So in those two categories, friendship and understanding that you don't, you don't stop pursuing your dream and your in your dream in life because you're getting older mm-hmm. or you are older um if you have a breath in you you can still pursue that dream absolutely and is there anything based on this friendship is there any way that you not a, not necessarily model but i guess to a point model your characters and your story around this type of camaraderie or do you find that this type of relationship seeps into the stories that you write? I try to make sure that um, in the most recent story I wrote um, uh, is based around friendships, that there there is a pairing of two different types of people that I want to have this type of uh, growth into a tight friendship. And I can't wait to build that in the series. Um, of the show that um, the script that I've written because that is that is the model for that. Um, when Kirk and we go off the new movies, then when Kirk and Spock became uh, when they knew each other, they weren't instant friends, and they had to learn how to grow and understand right. each other. Yeah. Um, and then that that friendship, that loyalty, that fa- family came into place. And this is an integral part of, you know, a, at least one of my scripts right now. Uh, that's how I want this growth to be of these two characters. That when you see them, that you're going to go, wow, that's, that's family, even as different sections and portions of life and uh, race that they come from. Now I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> 
let's read it all. Is there anything in this movie that you wish didn't happen or that you wish happened differently to either further a character arc or to explore something that maybe got lost in the weeds? Is there any particular part of this movie that feels that for you? What got lost in the weeds for me is that uh, Kirk has a son. He knows he has a son. Um, but his son, the mother decided to raise the son without Kirk knowing that he was her, that he had, a, that Kirk was his father. And it's, it's brought on, I think around in the second or third, second, second act, um, that had Kirk, he's in the presence of his son. His son doesn't know that he's his father. And, um, they get, he gets a moment to talk to the mother and, um, they talk about the fact that she kept him, the son away from Kirk because she didn't want her son Transiting around the universe with the father, and she wanted her son with with her. And I was like, "Wait, what?" Like, I feel like that portion got kind of lost in the the filming of the movie. Um, you know, I know it was you know brought back in um, uh, in the search for Spock, but in that moment they were setting it up, but it just kind of it fell kind of flat to me. Um, even though it was surprising, it was a surprising thing. It was still kind of like, oh, oh, that's weird. He has okay. okay. They, to me, I, I felt they could have done that better. I don't know how they could have done that better, but um, I never really truly thought about it because in my head, I was like, you know, they could have did that better. I think I would, I wanted the son to be upset with his mother that she took that choice away from him. Yeah, um, to have that time with his father who had never, he's heard so much about because I'm sure at this time in that world, Kirk is widely known as a superb captain of the Star, uh, Starfleet Enterprise, you know? Um, so I would want to know if that was my daddy. So, kind of important. Yeah, they're important. You know, and, and that's, to my attention here. Yeah, <laughs> that's my daddy. Like, you're just, you know, just telling me like it's a Maury show. I'm <laughs> um, so I just, I Thanks. felt like that, that portion could have been, the it could have been better done. It could have been a more dramatic situation. And, but the, the of course, the, the, the piece that I hated and I wish didn't happen was me watching one of my favorite characters die. Yeah. You know, he uh, sacrificed himself to save the many because he was the few of the one. And that has always been Spock's philosophy. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yes. Um, and so that, like I said, if I didn't have to watch that, that was <laughs> that was traumatic for me. And I know people are like, okay, lady, you're, you're older. And I was like, yeah, I know, but you don't understand how this formed me as a little girl. Um, as a writer to fall in love with these characters and they were beloved to me and uh, to see him die. And I truly, at the very end of the movie, how they were kind of not mourning him the right way, I felt. Mm -hmm. I was like, I would still be in tears. I would still be hurt. I would be like, he's gone. And, you, and they were kind of like ending the movie kind of like, it's, it's a new day, it's a new dawn. And you know, he's in a better place kind of situation where I would probably live it like, Spock ain't on bridge. We're not going to see him. I mean, you want to be, you know, I was still been hurt, like still walking around hurt. But, you know, you know, I guess Starfleet officers are built better than me. And I think my, it might have been like an 80s 
machismo thing, but it's like, do we let this hero dwell and be emotional when he is supposed to be this hero? He need. I felt like he needed to be. I think uh, Marvel got it right with Thor when mm-hmm. his world was lost, when he lost Loki. Yeah. He 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 went through the emotions of a person who was grieving. Right. And I felt that was right. And he was a hero. So again, I agree with you. I think in the 80s, they they did the best that they did what they did. You know, mm-hmm. is, is like you said, is made the hero not sit in, in grief and try to push him forward to um, a better mind frame. And so that he was smiling at the end of that movie. And I was sitting there going like, what the hell is the smiling about people? By the way, did you remember Spock just died? Um, Spock just died. Y'all just shot him off the ship. Like, come on. (laughs) I'm with you there because I feel like that is, that could have been a nice piece of character development. It could have been, you know, really just driving the point home about, you know, having that like brother type person that you've had to not only adjust yourself to but adjust to them always being there yeah the absence should have been a bigger piece than it was shown to be but i get i I get it i get Mm -hmm. why it was that way but i can understand you being like um (laughs) i just i wanted him to walk on um walk on to the um walk on to the set sit sit at his seat turn and look at the empty spot of spots they yeah, acknowledge the acknowledge and, and and have to pull himself together, get a stiff upper lift, turn, and then tell them and tell them to you know keep going because he is captain, but it's not going to be easy. His friend is right. gone, right. and I that's what I wanted. Yep, you that's what I, I thought. That's how you ended it. That's what because that's the truth of the matter. That, take it in you know, five he's going to be, gonna be in the captain. It's going to be hard. He's going to get through it, but he's still hurt. Yes. See? See? We just cracked the Da Vinci Code. See, it took them <laughs> five seconds to do that. But I do have to ask what your favorite scene or favorite part of the, the movie. For me, the favorite part of the movie is literally just seeing Ricardo Montalban in a chess piece. Oh, honey. <laughs> okay. That's what I've been waiting to talk about is <laughs> Okay. The original... The original series, the original series, it was episode, uh, season one, episode uh, 22, Space Seed is where Khan's character showed up. And as a little girl, when he came upon screen, now mind you, I remember seeing him on his own show, which God forgive me, I can't remember the name of his show. All I remember is The Plane, The Plane. Uh, Love Island? Was it Love Island? Uh, anyway. Fantasy um, Island? The island or something, but anyway, it's Fantasy Island. Fantasy Island. Thank you. Love Island. Oh, it's so handsome. On the- Are you thinking of the Love Boat and Fantasy Island? <laughs> my grandmother watched it, so you know, you know, it was either Guiding Light or World Turns, and then you know, um, <laughs> Love Boat and Fantasy Island. And so I got to make stuff in my head, but I remember um, seeing him on. Um, Fantasy Island and thinking, wow. And then it connected the dots when I saw him on Star Trek and was like, who made this beautiful man? Like how, even as a little girl, I was like, he is beautiful. 
and intentionally because his character should have been perfection because he was genetically modified. But he embodied that. He embodied the the younger one in the in the original series. He embodied that um, that perfection. He was very nice looking. So I was very happy to see him back in the Wrath of Khan and yes, the chest plate. Um, <laughs> oh, and Mo, he was old. Um, but uh, he still had it. Ricardo Montalban is just to me, he he played the perfect villain. Yeah. To me. He well, played that role. Excellent presence. Excellent. Like he he stole every scene that he was in. And um, I felt, again, I, and at the time, and they still at this point don't give many Oscars for sci-fi fantasy, but I would have given him an Oscar because he was just that good to me. Yeah. And what's so funny about it, not funny, haha, is, is mm-hmm. the fact that there hasn't been, I feel like Star Trek has always kind of been in this p- pigeonholed as being like kitschy or um, archaic. And mm-hmm. what's so interesting about the fact that you have somebody of Ricardo Montalban's caliber yes. <laughs> playing this kind of, you know, brutish, very severe handed character, but also excellently, like very smooth and very charismatic. Oh, and yeah. the fact that he could really swing the pendulum either way on a dime yes. is really excellent. And there isn't, there isn't enough chatter about that, which, you know, makes me sad. Yes. He was, he was, and again, um, the diversity of Star Trek. Yes. Um, They, you know, and if you watch your, if you watch the original series, they brought on many dramatic, you can tell them stage presence, you know, actors and actresses onto this, you know, sci-fi feature. So they got the best of the best. for their characters to come on this show to play these parts so i know uh, some people are like oh it's a little kitschy it's a little you know that too but you had the actors come on and really play their roles i saw the depth of the actors who came on to play i saw the diversity of the actors that they had come on to play at a time like i said when i was a little girl desperate to see someone to look like me who looked like me um on screen and to find that it was a show that was made in the 60s and or i think in the late 60s and early 70s um show that was made and now is the 80s and i'm dying for something like that yeah and i think what's really beautiful about <laughs> space mm-hmm. and science fiction and especially those when we, you know when we're going to different planets and exploring different life forms and mm-hmm. science fiction as with horror is always like it really is going to speak about civil issues and social issues that's yeah. helpable to people like it's fine if i talk about the dissolution of an entire race if they're yes. green spotted aliens you can handle yes. that yes you can understand that but mm-hmm you're not going to be able to choke it down if I'm talking about Black, Brown, or Indigenous people. Yes. And Gene Roddenberry understood that piece, and much like Rod Serling understood that piece in Twilight Zone. Yes. And a lot of social issues there. But I think what's so perfect about Star Trek and, and even just going back beyond the wrath of, of Khan is the fact that it made those type of issues really palpable. Yes. And you were really 
almost like just rooting for your core crew. So mm-hmm. it's so understandable for you to be affected so deeply at the death of Spock because you have literally followed that from its embryonic stage to everything that they would have gone through at this point and all of those trials that they've gone through in all of those situations and issues. Um, and I don't think that sci-fi gets enough credit in exploring that and teaching uh-huh. people those pieces like almost under their nose. Yes. Yes, and and I, that's one thing I love about it. And like I said, I I, I feel like Gene had the formula for that. He had yeah. the formula for that. He had the secret sauce. Yeah. The secret sauce. So would you say this movie, if we're talking Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. the, could you describe it to somebody in a few sentences? Ooh, Lord. Let me, you know, I am not the two-sentence girl. I'm the, I'm going to like, let me, I'm going to like, I'm I'm give you the short version and still give you the long version. Um, uh, let me see. Uh, a, a retired captain is pulled back into his job when a past foe shows up and threatens a family that he has had no contact with for years. Okay. There's our why. <laughs> our guy in motivation. He's getting back in the saddle. Mm-hmm. Taking care of biz. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are so inclined, what Mm -hmm. do you feel, because you kind of covered it in the beginning when we talked about, um, you know, really dealing with like ageism and uh, motivations and in going after the things that you you love and that you want to do and trying to have your foot in kind of both worlds of that. What would you say is an, an allegory for this film like what do you do you feel like that's really the crux of the story is the ageism piece i think it's the ageism and the friendship is too is is the ageism of you not again you not feeling that you still have it even though you have the passion for it are you telling yourself you getting in your way maybe that's the allegory you getting in your own way um by thinking you don't have it anymore um, you retiring yourself early, you telling yourself you're not good enough anymore, you saying that you've done enough um, to yourself because you're trying to meet the status quo or what the world is telling you you should do because you have set, hit a certain age. Um, I think that's one of the main allegories of the of the film, but the deeper one to me is friendship because his friends wouldn't allow him to um sit and uh muddle in his uh you know his self-proclaimed uh retirement in his own uh depression his own prison of his mind of of that they were still trying to rally him and get him out of that and tell him that he had made a big mistake in retiring as an admiral in doing just, you know, paper pushing. Yeah. So in, in that too, that they still trusted one another. They still trusted him to make the decisions as a captain, to have the, the bright idea to still show up as the hero um, of the story. And that in that trust, in that friendship, that they would do anything for each other including die for one another. 
to make sure that the other survived. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. This cuts deep. It really yeah. does. And I think that was really beautifully put. I'm snapping right now. I'm so excited, Tay. <laughs> It feels good. No, I'm I'm so happy that this is your film because it's so indicative of the way that you have that you approach life. Yeah, I do. I I make sure I try my best to make sure people that I you know, one is Fox saying again, you know, his favorite character, he would say live long and prosper. Yeah. Um, of course I don't. If I could, I'll walk around all the time and say live long and prosper to everyone. Um, because I feel like it does, it's, 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 it covers everything, okay? It does. You know, you live long and you prosper and prosper in every way, you know? If I couldn't say that, I would. And most likely, you know, uh, you know, my loved ones probably hear it from me. <laughs> but um, Prosper has literally like just been dumbed down to get that hustle. Or Yeah, and it's not that. It's really, truly like <laughs> live long and prosper in every aspect of your life. In every aspect, not just money, not mm-hmm. just fame, but live long and prosper in life, in yeah. life, and grow in life, and learn in life, and knowledge, in in friendships, in 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 wisdom. You know, to me, that's what it means. Um, but I, it does form for me that I I want to make connections with as many as diverse people as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And that in my writing, it is it is my crux here is in my writing, I want every person to see themselves in anything that I do. I want handicapped um, older people. I want um, uh, LBGTQ people. I want I want every race of person to be seen and heard in 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 the child that I was. To turn the t- to turn the channel, or to turn on a movie, or sit in a theater and see their face, their likeness reflected back to them, mm-hmm. and, and not have to live in a world where they're living through seeing people who do not look like them, and trying to in their head go, okay, I can understand where they're coming from because I watch them. That's all I see. I don't see me, but I guess I can. I guess I can understand and get used to seeing someone who doesn't look like me and understanding their world. Right. That to me was a tragedy, and I, I still believe it's a tragedy every time I see a movie or a TV show where it's no one of color or it's one person of color. Mm-hmm. One diversity higher. <laughs> yeah, and they don't have any prominent, significant mm-hmm. role. They're not the hero, they're not the protagonist, and they are not the ones who are being protected. Yes. And though that is, to me, a huge tragedy. So Star Trek has shaped me um, in that way of saying, it could be done. Your, yeah. hero, I said, your hero may not have sat in that captain's seat, but she was often saved by oh, yeah. the team. Protected and independent. They protected the her. And I love that. They, you know, they made sure that she was protected. They got pissed if something happened to her. Right. You know, and they would stand in front of her to protect her. And even though she could defend herself, they did that for her. Yeah. And I had not seen that ever. And I still, to this day, 
And many of these TV shows today don't see that. It's a lot of shows today, if you see Black women on it, they are hard. The, you can barely tell if their character was written for a man or not because they're carrying that role or they're still can't carrying the best friend, um, big mama role. Yeah. yeah I was watching a, a Mission Impossible, the last movie, mm-hmm. and um, uh, Ben Rames uh, carried the big mama role in that movie. Man. I recently just watched it and it hit me. It hadn't hit me before. I had watched it many times. It was the one with, uh, uh, what is his name? Harry Cavill as the villain in it. And <laughs> I watched it over the weekend and it hit me. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. They got Ben Rings playing the big mama where he's consoling and giving wisdom that. Oh, yeah. You know, and I was like, handing out the life lessons. But <laughs> life. And I was like, what? What? No. What are we doing here? What are we doing? This is Ben freaking Reigns. Like, yeah. what is happening? Utilize him effectively, please. Please use him <laughs> effectively. So I just I just feel sometimes for, and I'm focusing right now as, because I'm a Black female, you know, African-American female, so I'm focusing right now on that and how I want to make sure that my characters are um, not utilized, are, are made as a side character. Are the big mama are um, not are are the women are not hard because black women are tired of being the hard and strong ones because that is untrue of us. Right. Yes, we, we we're strong because we have to be because the world does not allow us to be soft. And I'm and I want the world to see softness in us. I want the world to see us as needing protection, yeah. needing someone to come in and save the day for us. Come save us. Put us first. Be the the lead in the romance. Mm-hmm. Um, be that because it's not enough. It's no. not enough out there. And it's I not. think TV uh, rounds people's perceptions of different <laughs> cultures. Oh, for sure. And it definitely has rounded the perception of Black women being the strong. We can take on everything. And don't get me wrong. I feel that we can. Mm-hmm. But we also need to be desired in the way of she is more than a sexual heart as can beat everyone in this room, even though I do have characters who whoop someone's behind, um, but deserves to be protected, deserves to be the, the romantic lead right. against the lead character in the show, who is softness and is in and then softness that she is and weakness that she is and all that we are is more than we're going to come in here and whoop everybody's ass and, right. and, and we really I can't really distinguish if this role was written for a man or not yeah and we don't we don't have you, you don't have a lot of of women of color being given multifaceted roles yes where they can have all of these options like you can't just give, okay, you're in the scene and you're angry or you're in the scene and you're defensive. And yes. that's all that that is. Yes. And it's, you know, and Star Trek really showed we can accomplish this in 1966. Yes. Why can't And we? that is what I'm just like, how they did it in 1966. So how the hell 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are we still to this day? We're so still doing characters like this. Like, mm-hmm. and I have to say, the new Star Treks they 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 hit it on perfectly with Star Trek Discovery, um, Lower Decks, where they have these multifaceted black female characters who have every emotion who are still leading the show still can be strong but are vulnerable yeah that people their crew are loyal to them their friends are loyal to them they are protected they are wanted there in the scene they're not uh is not ambiguous of who they truly are as in a personality Mm -hmm. and i that and again for that reason along I will still always be a Trekkie. <laughs> I love Star Wars too. I love it. Lies in Star Trek world as a Trekkie because of the diversity. Yes. Where Star, world, Star, Star Wars really didn't have a lot of diversity in mm-hmm. Star Wars. Star War. Star War. Sorry. Star War because they had that one, you know, one guy. You know, um, the Colt 45 guy, um, 45 guy, Billy D. Williams, Billy D. Williams, you know, and but, um, uh, you know what I'm saying, but in that's the difference. So I remember watching Star Wars and going, This is the future, and I'm still not seeing ourselves except for Billy D. Yeah, they just recently had a black woman on Star Wars after years, years yeah. of not really having any black women mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. it. Where immediately, like I said, Star Trek made sure that that was there. Yeah, yeah, many, many moons ago, and yeah. So my heart is not impossible. I'm always going to be a Trekkie first. I love it. Hey, thank you so much for for being on the podcast today. I'm so pleased. I'm so energized by your point of view. And now I got to ra- watch Rathacon again too. I know. I, 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 I my popcorn and that'll be it. But no, I'm psyched. because Thank you so much for inviting me. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Oh, anytime, yeah. though. Anytime. Yes. So, Tay, is there anything that we should look out for? Any projects that you have down the pipeline? Um, or where any other places where folks can find you? Um, I'm on Twitter um, as Tay underscore Nania. Yes. Um, and that's N-A-N-E-A, uh, Tay underscore Nania. Um, I, I am working on a couple right now. I'm exploring writing um, a rom-com and a romance dramedy. At the same time, I have lost my mind there. <laughs> um, uh, because they're both in my head and I'm just waiting for one of them to take over and say, focus on me now. Like, just focus on me and get to that right, other right. one later. Uh, I've never written a ro- romance before. Um, and so this is my first a foray into that. And I'm truly excited about both writing both of them. Like, I am like, I'm jumping into two at the same time because I'm so excited about both. I love um, I'm I'm typically sci-fi, of course, and are uh, horror, and um, and my my the script that has made uh, a lot of noise is Mantis, and that's an action one, <laughs> which is shocking to me. So I you know I try not to let any genre um, hold me, even though I love sci-fi. That is my that's my safe space. 
um, writing in any genre, in any story that calls forth to you, I would say that to any screenwriter, any story that is in your spirit to write, uh, write it. Yeah. Don't, Don't get stuck yourself. in being, oh, well, I'm a better sci-fi writer or I'm a better comedy writer. Mm-hmm. If if you have a drama in your spirit to write that's talking to you, that's in the back of your head, write that. Yes, my we can also find you um, doing articles with ScriptMag, correct? Yes, that is correct. I am. Uh, they have given me an incredible opportunity to interview um, up-and-coming screenwriters. Yay! And I get a chance to just talk to them and dig in their head and um, find out how they become. How did they become a screenwriter? Yes. And how did it start? And what advice would they give um, any new screenwriter? Because I know that that's one of my things. When I became a screenwriter, I just wanted to talk to and find out the tricks of the trade. Right. So I am so happy that I get a chance to um, interview screenwriters. I'm praying that the series continues on next year because there's so many other screenwriters that I want to put on the list to interview. <laughs> sure. And get in their head and um, and, and get, the, get a chance for the world to see them as I see them as amazing people and very brave people because you have to be brave to sit in front of a computer and pour your spirit and soul out onto a page and build worlds and characters um, that you don't know if anyone's going to like, but you're writing it anyway. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited for everyone to hear your points of view on this and, and everything you shared was just amazing today. And I'm so excited. So, folks, thank you so much to Nania Taylor for joining me today. And um, we will see you next week.